Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I'm sitting here with my new friend, Mary Morantz. She is an author, a speaker. She grew up in a single-wide trailer in West Virginia and went on to study at Yale Law School. She then built a thriving photography business and she basically does all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, her book, Dirt, Growing Strong Roots in What Makes the Broken Beautiful, just released this September and it just hit number one on Amazon in its Yay. category. So congratulations, Mary. Yay. Um, I do want to say before we begin that um, it is a memoir. And if you're not familiar with that term, it really is Mary telling the story about her life. And so um, it's it reads like a fiction, if that makes sense. So if you're somebody who um, likes to read fiction, I know you will love Mary's book. She is a beautiful storyteller. And I actually suggest even getting the audiobook because as you will hear Mary speak, um, she's in such a beautiful way with words. So Mary, thank you for being on the show. And um, let's dive in. Tell me a little bit. Tell me a bit about yourself right now. And then let's go back to your story. Yeah, Jacqueline, thanks so much for having me. First of all, I'm so excited to get to hang out with you. And, um, you know, thank you for everything that you just said about dirt. It really does. I, I really agree with you that it reads like a fiction book and, and there's dialogue and characters, some real characters for sure. And we're hearing from people, they're reading it in about a day to a day and a half. So it's definitely a page turner. It's not a book that's going to sit on your shelves for any length of time. And I would also say that it is a memoir. It is my story, but we're hearing from so many people, like, how did I grow up totally different from you, but I'm finding myself in your story. And so it's not just my story. I feel like it becomes all of our stories, especially because I think we all know that experience of there's something in my story. There's something in my past that I feel like I have to outrun in order for my story to be acceptable or enough or for it to count. And so, um, like you said, I did uh, go to Yale Law School um, from a single wide trailer in West Virginia. That was one big arc right there. And then as soon as I graduated law school, I had offers at law firms in New York and London for a very, very set life, $140,000 to start plus bonuses plus benefits. And I instead started a photography business with my husband, Justin, which we've had for 15 years and built to be a very, very successful business. And then I'm like Ross on Friends, like I'm the art of the pivot, you know, pivot. Um, We just, as of last year, I signed a book deal to write five books, actually. So this is the first of five. And so I'm, you know, retired from photography and I'm an official author now. So it's been kind of a a really interesting, you know, progression, I guess. But I feel like most of us have that experience of doing something we (laughs) didn't go to school for, you know, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Basically, I'll let you know when I figure it out. Well, I want to put a pin in that for a second because I've heard you say that as a little kid, you wanted to be a writer. Mm. And so I love that you just shared, I mean, again, we could dive into any of those things where you have gone to Yale Law School and you have built up this photography business. You've done all these careers, these things, 
Yet there still was that thing inside of you mm-hmm. that had been there for a long time. And now you get this chance. That's that's very significant that you have a five book deal. I don't know if people know that's incredibly rare. Mm-hmm. Um, so really you're giving this chance to to express this part of who you have always been and this thing that has been inside of you. Mm-hmm. It just came at this time. And so I think so often we we want the thing right now. Um, but things do often just come come sometimes in an upside down, backwards way and in yeah. God's timing. Yeah. And I would say, because what I love about this show is it's, you know, helping people who feel like they're in just a place where they're just barely surviving. And it's like getting to that place of how do we actually start thriving right where we are? And one of the things I think that can really make people feel like they are just barely getting by, they're just keeping their heads above water, they're just surviving is when they're in those seasons where they feel like I would call them hidden seasons or sort of like away from the light seasons where maybe it's you step back from pursuing a business because you're raising little kids or maybe, you know, you have to switch careers or something that you really put your identity in goes away, you know, a a job that you had or, uh, you know, a, a relationship falls apart or whatever the case may be. And we can feel like this will become a chapter in my life that will be wasted. This will be wasted time. This will be wasted energy, these, these sentences will never make it on the page. And I did know since I was five years old, that's a legitimate, not, not, not like a oh, hyperbole or what have you. I remember being five and feeling like I was being called to be a writer. There was um, a woman named Pearl Buck who grew up not far from where I grew up. And she is the Nobel and Pulitzer Prize winner of the, for the good earth. And I remember thinking, you know, here's somebody who came from where I come from, And she was able to go do something really beautiful, but not just beautiful for herself, something that brought honor to our state, to West Virginia. And so for me to kind of take this very long way around, this very long loop to finally get around to doing the thing I felt called to do since I was five, when I turned 40 in May, um, nothing about what I did in the meantime feels wasted. Because when I was building a business, I was learning grits and tenacity when I was learning to take photos. I was developing a skill that would carry in when we have to take, you know, author photos and photos of the book, building an email list, learning to speak from a stage, you know, learning how to interact with people and manage emotions on one of the craziest days of their wedding. Like that, all of those skills, they don't make sense when you're in the moment. They're kind of like these breadcrumbs hinting at where you're going. But when you look back and that hindsight is 2020, which whoever said that was a genius, hindsight is definitely 2020. Um, you really start to understand how you were being prepared all along. And so I'll give you one very, very specific, funny example of that. Um, but just to speak to anybody who feels like, oh man, like I, I, I'm, I'm over, I'm like miles away from doing the thing I feel called to. When I was a little kid, when I was like five, um, I, maybe, maybe like, we'll say like eight or nine, I think maybe I was in great, like a second or third grade at that point the teacher had us go around the circle and read aloud from the story and when I read she like made this big point of like oh my gosh you read really well aloud and I was like okay that's a really weird compliment but okay and then fast forward I got asked to do a reading at a friend's wedding and that's a pretty normal boring thing at a wedding that's like first Corinthians whatever um and afterwards, every single guest at that wedding came up and said, we've never heard somebody do a reading like that. And I was like, well, fantastic. But professional wedding reader is probably not a job in my future. This is before I was doing professional wedding photography. So there's another little funny hint there. 
But all of these times, this thing that people were calling out of me, I felt like it was almost like a slap in the face because it's like, well, who wants that to be the like gift that you have? You read aloud very well. It's like, what is that going to be? And then you, of course, get to that point where it's hindsight and I now have a podcast and I'm reading my, you know, own audio book. And it's just like this moment of like, you're really funny, God, that's really funny. So if it doesn't make sense right now, just give it time. Well, I love, even as you were sharing that story, I was reminded of really one of the hardest seasons um, I have walked through. And I I shared about that recently um, in a post about basically walking through a season where uh, my parents had lost their home. I had had a miscarriage. My dad had a massive heart attack where um, in the middle of the night he had had um, a stint put in and I was in the operating space and ended up passing out um, right there. My grandma passed away. This was all in a, in a season of maybe two months. Yeah. And um, during that time, I was at a women's conference and I had been asked to MC the conference. And so I'm just up at the front feeling nervous about speaking in front of all these people. Um, and also I was a mess. Like I was mm-hmm. that I spent the entire weekend bawling because I was just carrying so much at that time. And, um, and people kept coming up to me saying, you did such a great job mm-hmm. emceeing. And I remember thinking, I, I loved that. I loved speaking in front of these women. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about that. And it was like this little seed was planted, even though that was seven years ago. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a far, a long time before I would actually start to feel like God was growing a desire to write and speak and then podcast. Um, but it was this little glimpse, this little mm-hmm. nugget, this thing that people were. And so I, I love that you shared that, that, um, for people who are in those seasons where they're going, uh, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I want to pursue and, and feeling far away that, I think sometimes God begins to, like you said, prepare us and that nothing mm. is wasted. Yeah. All of those things that we are walking through, um, I think are preparing us for things that God wants for us. I think it's so interesting that it was seven years ago because that's such a like, that's a God number. That's like a totally. number he loves yeah. to work yeah. in. And, you know, I think humans, we really get into a hurry sometime and we live in this like instant gratification, overnight success I grew my business to six or seven figures in like five minutes and you can too. And we really start to tell these stories that sound very convincing of if it hasn't happened yet, it's not going to happen. And, you know, we look for those stories like, well, okay, well, how old was Oprah when things started happening for her? Like Steve Carell when he was on the office or what have you. Um, Because we get really nervous that there is this like, sand through the hourglass like these are the days of our lives like this clock that's running out or actually in dirt I talk about this atomic clock screaming out all of the seconds passing by that we're running out of time and God is just not in a hurry because time is you know he is time it's infinite for him and so like and he's like I I this seven years of um I heard Allie Worthington call that recently planting seeds in the darkness where we go away for a while, where the world doesn't see the growth for a while. This time that feels like an eternity to us, where it just feels like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be 40. You know, we're, we're, that's, that's something that, you know, we're walking through is like I said, I turned 40 and we've been trying to start a family for six and a half years. And of course I have all of these narratives of, 
if it doesn't happen by this time, it's not going to happen if it doesn't happen by this time. And God has just really been showing me this, like, you are putting your hope in the world's timelines. And you're putting your hope in like these random benchmarks that have changed a thousand times over the course of humanity of when is the best time to get married, start a family, buy a house, start a business, restart a career, finally do that thing you're being called to. And in God's timing, like God's math, God's timing, just all of those mile markers go out the window. Thank you for sharing that. I, um, as you were speaking, I was thinking about, um, I, I don't have a huge audience um, on Instagram, and it's always interesting to see what people um, really resonate with. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I share something on there, um, basically with the the heart behind it is that you are not behind. Mm-hmm. And anytime I share something like that, it it receives way more traction than anything else. And I was talking to a friend recently saying, this is very interesting. Like I'm, I don't post for, um, for the likes or the comments or shares or anything like that, but it's, it's interesting to pay attention to those numbers. What is it resonating? And I said to this friend, I think the reason that kind of post resonates so deeply is that it cuts through the enemy's lie that is saying you're behind right now and you need to do this thing and it just it just cuts right through it and goes oh okay like you you just shared Mary like I'm God has the perfect timeline yeah and you know we we do have a responsibility to steward our obedience and ourselves and and those things but there can be this idea that we're gonna miss we're gonna miss our own lives yeah and um and that that can really send us I think that what can happen is then we just are paralyzed and we don't do anything. Um, and so I love just getting back to the heart of uh, the truth of who God is and who he says we are. That Really, really, we can have a piece in that. Yeah, I love that. It actually, um, when you said that you shared that on Instagram, it reminded me of a post that I just put up. And I wrote, you are not late to your own life. There is no magic number that makes some people happy, successful, and chosen while everyone else just missed their window. You are arriving where you are exactly on time. And that's something I think we have to fight for and we have to remind ourselves really often because, you know, it can feel like that person only had their business a year and it took off or only started their Instagram a year ago and it took off or they had success the very first time they tried that or they, you know, started a family the very first time they tried or whatever, you know, got a book deal the first time they tried, whatever the case may be. Um, And, we, it, we, it's just really operating out of finite, a finite economy, out of a scarcity economy to say, if it happened that quickly for that person, then there's no other path to doing the thing I want to do. But like very few things, you know, when, when, when God was doing something, it could happen really quickly. But when, when God was working through people, there's always this like 40 years wandering through the wilderness moment first. Totally. Um, which is, I'm, as I said to you earlier, seven's a really interesting number. I just had an aha moment that 40 yeah. is also a really interesting number yeah. that God likes to work with. Yeah, absolutely. I actually have found for so many women that I've connected with that something in their lives like just seems to really change or deepen or resonate around 40. Like it, yeah. it does feel like this... Um, season that God has been kind of in some ways preparing. And he's like, okay, I'm ready to like, yeah. you know, unleash you in these different ways. Um, one of the things, cause I know we've, in some ways, what we've been talking about a little bit is, 
is the idea of finding our value, our worth in some sort of achievement. And I know that is part of your story. Mm-hmm. And so how have you, how's that been part of your story? How have you wrestled with that? How have you sort of overcome that? I'm sure we never, you know, those can be things we can still wrestle through, but mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about achievement as part of your story. Yeah. So, I mean, for me in particular, um, and, and one of the biggest hurts I had for writing dirt is I feel like people like me um, who maybe didn't grow up with a lot or there is just something in their story. And, and what I realized is in my head, when we first started, it was going to be people who didn't grow up a lot, you know, with a lot financially, but there are a lot of things that can flip the switch in people where you feel like in order to redeem that part of my story, in order to overcome that part of my story, to be like washed clean from that part of my story, I have to so outperform where I came from. I have to so overcompensate. I have to be extra put together. And I say that I wrote dirt for the most put together woman in the room, the one that you would walk in and never know that she's hiding something hard in her story. And so for people who either grew up like me, where it's, you know, maybe you grew up without a lot or you grew up in a trailer or you, you know, just had something happen uh, pretty early on in your life. Like let's say a young marriage and young divorce or something like that. You can feel like you have to run really quickly so that that thing in your past doesn't trip you up at the ankles. So, you know, it doesn't just claw at you from behind and say, not so fast, come back. You, you, you are not the one equipped. You are not the one qualified to step forward, get back in your place. And I equate that in dirt to, you know, I think a lot of times when people hear, oh, I didn't come from a lot and it flipped a switch in me and I felt like I had to go achieve, they go, well, I mean, how bad is that? Because it made you really successful. And I, it was very important to me in dirt to address that because what I say is, listen, for me running from my story, if I were making a joke here, I would say it's like Forrest Gump where they hand him the football and nobody ever tells him when it's you know safe to stop. So he just keeps running into the end zone, victory after victory. But it's not like that. That switch that gets flipped and that running that you do is more like the girl in the red cape running her way, clawing her way out of the you know deep dark woods, the big bad wolf ripping at her heels She feels like if she stops, it just might kill her. And I say achieving becomes our oxygen. We do not do this to feel better than other people. We do it because we don't know how to breathe if we stop. Perfectionism, the penance we think we have to pay to show up in any room. And what I've realized when I look back over my shoulder, breathless and wild-eyed, I finally see it. I'm the girl in the red cape, but I'm also the wolf. And that voice in my head telling me to run and never stop running, that it will never be safe to stop that voice is my own. And I have become this, you know, the the book dirt is divided into two parts, the girl in the trailer, the girl after the trailer. And this grown woman version of myself has run alongside this littlest version of myself behind her, beside her, in front of her, dragging her along when I had to, red-faced and screaming at her about all the things she has to do in order to be loved. And that is what I want people to understand about that achieving switch that gets flipped. It is primal, visceral. It feels like it's a survival mechanism, not just something we do to go look like we're so put together. Wow. And so how have you, um, I love the way you so beautifully paint that picture um, because I think so many of us can identify with some sort of um, some sort of striving, some sort of inner voice that does, right? Going back to the conversation we had where that voice that says, you are behind unless you achieve X, Y, and Z. And it does look different for everybody. Um, 
So how can we, if we're identifying that in our lives, how can we learn really to um, get rid of that wolf? Like, how can we put the wolf at bay? Yeah. Um, So slowly, carefully, and every single day is the short answer. But I'll give you you a much more practical answer than that. The way that it really started to work for me is, well, I'm going to tell you that, but first I want to give you an image. And that image is from Shauna Nequist in her book, Savor, but also maybe it's from another one of her books, but it's from her daily devotional Savor. And she she's talking about forgiveness and forgiving other people and how every single morning she has to visualize taking that friend she needs to forgive and taking them off a big giant cartoon hook, letting them off the hook. And every day she has to do that. And I think that's kind of, this unraveling to this achievement we've become so it's like the drug that seems to numb but never satisfy is we have to let ourselves off the hook every single day and I think it's also like imagery of peeling back the layers of an onion and so the way that it really started to work for me is I was working with a goals coach named Kim Butler from the white boardroom who she's a character she becomes a character in the book and we do you know monthly coaching calls. She texts me daily about my goals, but at the end of the year, she comes to Connecticut from Atlanta and we have a meeting in person. And so she was in Connecticut. We were sitting right here at my kitchen Island and we had a big giant whiteboard. We were whiting it, you know, had whiteboarded out all the goals I had achieved already that year, all the goals that I was hoping for in the coming year. And we, it was a, it was a banner year. It was like the dream year. And I looked at her and I said, I am the unhappiest I've ever been. And she kind of like sighed and like, you know, shoulders slumped because this was something we've been working on over and over and over through several years of working together. And that is this like identity that I have in my goals and my achieving. And so we start kind of going back and forth debating about like the parable of the talents and to whom much is given, much is expected. and, And where do we get our identity and things like that? And so she starts marking out goals and that's very painful for me as an Enneagram three achiever. She just starts marking them out, marking them out, marking them out. And all that's left is my name in big letters across the top. And she slams on my name. Who is Mary without any of this stuff? And I knew what I was supposed to say as like a good Christian. I was supposed to say, oh, I'm a child of God and my identity is, you know, in Christ. And it's not that I don't believe those things, but in that moment, what actually came running out of my mouth before I could even stop it was nothing because <laughs> I was just so, I was just so low in that season. And I really was like the most tied to, I would rise and fall by how those goals were, were doing down to even like the most microscopic change could throw my entire day off. And we were like, well, that's terrifying. And so the, the layer and the onion peeling back was beginning to just disassociate with, even if that course launched flopped who who am I who remains even if we didn't have the pretty house that we worked so hard to have when I came from a trailer what would remain you know even if um the the book doesn't do well or I don't get the book deal or whatever the case is what remains and when we start to peel back to those things that become much more permanent this who we are not what we do my friend Paula Ferris talks a lot about that she says I want to ask my kids who they want to be when they grow up, not what do they want to do. And she's, you know, she talks about like in her case, what, what becomes permanent, what's permanently true about her. She's curious. She loves to ask people questions. She loves to challenge and champion people. And that can be true whether she's on Good Morning America and The View or whether she's doing a podcast or whether she's just sitting down with someone over coffee. 
So what are those permanent things about who you are that carry through no matter whether the external things of success are true or not? And that really starts to point you not only to something that's that's an identity that's more you know solid and and will stay with you through the course of things, but it also starts to point you to a, a calling. Um, but ultimately, we, the, the hope is that we keep peeling back, keep peeling back, keep peeling back until we realize I am a child of God. We get to that place where we, we get the answer not because it's lip service, but because we actually start to internalize that and believe it and let that have a reckoning in us and a transformation from the inside out. Because one more thing I'll say, I know that it's gotten long, but one more thing I'll say is to all of the Enneagram 3 achievers out there who are listening to this and you were like, nope, don't like that because I'm terrified if I do that peeling back, I will lose my drive. I will stop being an achiever. The opposite is actually true. I can tell you from experience, the opposite is actually true because when your whole identity and your whole worth doesn't rise and fall with whether or not the goal works, it actually frees you up to run harder because if it doesn't work, you just try again. Yeah. Um as you were speaking, I was thinking about um, Paul in Philippians 4. He talks about how he's like, I found the secret to contentment. And though those words have always been interesting to me that he basically says, like, it's it's like the secret. What do you mean? And, and he talks about really how he's, in some ways, he's had to work for it. And I think that's really a lot of what you're saying here as well. And I hope people do catch that, that um, just like any success or achievement, we can believe that people have resolve things in their life just like that. Mm -hmm. But for most people who I've spoken with um, who are living from a place of contentment, of peace, despite they're not no longer rising and falling with those achievements, they've done the hard work. Mm -hmm. And that's what, um, you know, Mary was talking about there. And, and I love even that you painted that picture of that exercise, that that's something we can do. We can pull out a piece of paper. We can write down the things that we're really hoping for, like our goals or the things we want in our lives, the things we have achieved, but then also realize like who, who are we when those things are taken away? And I think we can live from a place of fear mm -hmm. as we're going after things that even the fear we talked about earlier of, of am I behind? And so we can live from that place of fear and we're not living from a place of contentment. And so really being able to um, spend the time peeling back those layers, opening our hands to God, trusting his timing. And it really is, I believe so often it is this co-laboring with God, this partnering where we, we're responsible to do our work. We have to do the heavy lifting of dealing with our stuff, but he's right there to be able to, um, actually, I would say he's, he's the one doing the heavy lifting, but we're there partnering with him. Mm. Um, and even as Mary was saying too, like speaking to those people who feel like, you know, whether they are the perfectionists or the performers, the people who really need to get it all done, what does it look like even to rest? And that's been something I've chatted about lots in the podcast. Um, there's a fear if I rest, then I'm going to be behind or I'm not going to get yeah. it done. And I have found the opposite. And I'm sure Mary would agree that actually when I rest well, I'm way more productive. I'm way more creative. I get so much. People often say to me, how do you get all the things done? And I'm like, ah, am I doing a lot? And I realize, oh, it's actually because I've learned to rest and and, and you know that – I talk about this again on the podcast. It can look like going for a walk. It can look like making a meal. Mm -hmm. um, but it always does look like as well connecting with God and, and hearing his truth about who 
he's created me to be, yeah. um, that I don't have to get that from a like or a share or a, a number or um, anything, any other measure of achievement. Um, I'm getting it from him. You know what I love about what you were just saying too, Jacqueline, as you were saying, and I had these like two words just like really clear in my head. I mean, it's technically three words. Um, the first is even if, and the second is attachment. And so the first part, you know, when I think, and I think when all of us sort of picture Paul saying the, you know, I've learned the secret, we're picturing him kind of like reclining in like Monty Python images are coming to my head right now, but sort of like reclining in this like prison uh, with the shackles and everything, right? And um, and it's this very like mm, passive, like like he's just like that's what I mean when I think like achievers, whether that's an Enneagram three or just you're somebody who has like goals you're going after. We can really start to worry that getting solid in our identity means we have to give up going for things, and so. And what I actually think Paul is saying, and, and this is exactly what you were talking about, is this, it's this even if, you know, even if this works out a ton and I get all the things I ever hoped for, or even if I get none of the things I hoped for, I'm still loved and I'm still who I am and I'm still who I was created to be. So there's the, the even if part. And then the other part is that attachment. It's letting go of this attachment we have to how we think it has to work out and the way that it's going to happen. And so here's a really interesting example of that is, you know, we launched this book on September 15th um, for months and months ahead of time. You're doing the launch program, you're doing the pre-orders, you're doing the launch team, you're doing the ads, you're doing the push, 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 push. And, you know, I have all these ideas in my head of like what it has to do and what I have to do to make it a success. Months and months and months and months of my efforts, not resting very diligently, not saying, God, I leave it to you. I surrender it to your hands, but being like, I surrender to your hands, but I'm going to do it. Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, and then, you know, the book comes out and everything. And like seven weeks later, I go and spend again with the seven, seven weeks later, I go spend seven minutes on Hallmark Home and Family. And that seven minutes, what was said, the words that were provided, the conversation that was had, the way that it resonated with people, that seven minutes and what God did with it did more than seven months of me pushing. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I did catch that clip, but you did such a great job. Thank um, you. I loved all that you shared in there. Um, that's such a beautiful picture, again, of, um, you know, we, there's a verse in Deuteronomy that um, just, I believe it's another one that says, be strong and courageous, but it also says, and do the work. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there is that responsibility where I always want to say to people, like, I'm resting. It doesn't mean I'm lazy and do nothing. It. I have this. And actually, I... I get a lot of joy and purpose mm. through the things that, because I actually think God really wants us to work. Like I think he's created us yeah. to work. We find this joy in it. He just doesn't want that to become our idol or to feel like yeah. we have to make it happen. And so for me, it's always that balance of like, all right, God, like I'm doing the work. I'm excited. And then it can tip over. I always know when it tips over to the striving place where I'm like, I got to make it happen. And that's where when things don't work out, I feel that failure. Whereas what you were talking about before, like I am trusting him. I can actually fail confidently and be like, okay, I've done the thing. I feel like you've asked me to do. I don't, I'm not in charge of the outcomes. Yeah. And I love the, I mean, I, I love that we did talk about um, the seven there and um, all those little numbers that you just shared that you're right. Like God, 
God can do more in seven minutes yeah. um, than we can do on our own in seven months. And so it's continually going back to him and saying, okay, what do you want me to do here? And I'm, I'm trusting these things to you and I'm going to keep walking that path, not always knowing, like we don't always know the, the little steps that are going to become the big things in our life. It really is being faithful right where we are with what we've been given. Yeah. Um, The last thing I want to talk about is just this idea of transformation. Mm. And I know um, you, you even talk about the transformation your book went through Mm -hmm. from draft one to draft two. Yeah. So can you talk about just even that process in transforming the book, but also transforming you? Yeah. So, um, so Dirt is the story of me growing up in a single wide trailer on the top of a mountain in West Virginia and then ending up at Yale Law School. That's kind of like the elevator pitch version of it, but it becomes much more a journey of letting go of achieving for your worth, forgiveness, making peace with your past and, and redemption because another component of the story is that my mom did leave when I was nine and that does something to a kid and the book kind of like works through um, you know, not only does the switch get flipped because maybe you didn't have a lot growing up, but it also gets flipped because when somebody leaves, there is this element of, well, were they right to leave? Was there something lacking? Well, I always have to be more of something to get the people I love to stay. And so draft one of writing this book, which was due uh, December, 2019, um, was the first time I kind of, I've said like that version of the book was, it ultimately ended up being for me because it was the first time I ever got this story down on paper And so, I mean, I was talking about stuff that I had very neatly put into a nice little box and said, we will deal with that later. And later meant never, you know, when I was a kid, when I was growing up, it was just like easier to repress that or put it away or um, compartmentalize. And so you sort of like, you start writing this book and it's like Pandora's box opens and you're just like dealing with stuff and there's all of all of this grief and this anger and this bitterness. And so draft one of the book is much, was a much angrier, more bitter version of the book. And I think if I had written this book right after law school or, or at a younger age, I would have been like, yep. And that's the one I want out in the world. Um, because there's a softening that comes with age and a wisdom and an empathy. And you realize that being an adult is really hard. Um, and so what happened was I turned in draft one. I was like, I think we're done. We saw some friends to celebrate. I was like, I think we're done. Maybe a few commas, but that's pretty much it. And my editor was finishing up another project. So she didn't get back to me right away. And like that one beat, that one day was enough for me to have, I kind of call it my like Christmas Carol moment where you wake up and you have seen a future that you do not want to come true. And that was that book being on shelves. And it's sort of like this, is it Christmas still? Have I missed it? And I had an opportunity to completely gut the book by my own choice. Like I said, my editor hadn't even looked at it yet and completely rewrite the book. And we only had two months to do it. So I wrote cut and rewrote 50,000 new words from draft one to draft two. And the two books could not be more different. And the difference is this book that people can now hold in their hands is just dripping with grace. It's, you know, dripping with empathy and this understanding of not only seeing and having empathy for the littlest version of me, but also the littlest version of my parents, realizing they were kids once too, and what they had to go through to make it better than, than the experience they had, you know, than what their parents could do. And so it is just, we always say like that, that gap between both, both parts of the book, girl in the trailer, girl after the trailer, and also draft one to draft two is this bridge that had to be crossed. And that bridge between the two is, but God, you know, but God, I would still be a draft one person. Well, I love 
I love that you share that because I think, um, you know, there, the book itself is powerful transformation. But as you, as you share this part of your story, I think in many ways it gives people that permission to say, okay, maybe, maybe there's things in my life that I'm actually living right now that are a draft one. And what yeah. would it look like to, um, you know, whether you are actually writing it out. And I know for, for myself, my my adult life, so much of it was a draft one. I talk about this. I've talked about this a few times in the podcast of just how bitter I was and how angry I was. I cannot and, picture that. <laughs> um, well, that's, I think I have to always go back to, um, to tell people because I, one of my favorite verses is, um, it's like Matthew 12, 34, and it just talks about out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm -hmm. And what came out of my heart was always negativity. It was always complaining. If Even if I had a great weekend and somebody would say, how was your weekend? I would say, oh, it was good, but, and I mm -hmm. always just had this habit of going back to the negative. And it was, when I say out of the heart, the mouth speaks, in order to change my words, God had to deal with my heart. Mm -hmm. And so it was this process of, confessing and getting all of the junk that was hanging out in my heart that I didn't realize was destroying me from the inside out. Mm. And so that is really what I always want to talk to people about in terms of transformation that um, I just thought that was just who I was. That's just how it is. And um, it was the both the the moment of healing by God, but then the process. Yeah. And the process has been um, you know, there was a time where I sat with somebody and they asked me a question and I, and I began my spiel of, which I'm sure you have, you have things you say about your past, um, where we kind of get good at, at explaining it in this, this way. It's simple to explain and very easy. And, and I realized, oh, I am complaining. There is a way that I can actually share about this and say, yeah, this was hard, but I can, I can share about it without complaining. So I actually had this friend ask me the question again. And it was a process of me learning how to speak differently, but also um, just God uprooting things mm -hmm. that had been um, growing, these weeds of bitterness that had been growing in my heart. And so yeah. I love that you um, you share about that um, process as well. I've heard you talk about that just in in forgiveness, in reconciliation yeah. and redemption. And so uh, I know God is going to continue to do such beautiful things in your life. And I'm excited to read these next um, four books that you're going to have come out. Um, is there anything else you'd wanted to share with us as we close? Yeah, actually. So everything you were just talking about reminds me so much of this um, one part of dirt near the end. It's in a chapter called grace is a root word. And I just wanted to read it to you really quickly. It says grace is a root word. Not too long ago, Kim sent me this sermon to listen to. The preacher was talking about how God doesn't just want us to be messengers of grace but an embodiment of it. How he doesn't want us to just walk around talking intellectually about the idea, hiding behind our elbow patches and beautiful minds, giving formulaic lip service to what it means to cover all manner of wrongs, but to actually have grace be something that consumes us, changes us, transforms us from the inside out. An internal reckoning that transcends all manner of form or logic. It's that grace is trying to do something in us. That's, yeah, that's exactly it. And that's exactly what's version one of this book to version two, grace, grace got in. And exactly what you're talking about. All these things that have to be rooted out and these things that are taken hold. And I love, I love that idea of like out of the heart is what we speak. Um, and it's so true. And we, we, 
I just, and she sent me that sermon because she was like, I just do not think your words will ever have the impact you hope. I don't think your work will ever have the transformation in others that you hope until it's done that transformation work in you. Yeah. Good. Well, Mary, thank you so much for sharing your story here. Um, I'm encouraged. I really hope people go out and um, purchase your book. I'm excited. I'm partway through. I'm excited to finish reading it. And I also really just want to thank you for sharing so many 80s and 90s references um, because those things really brought me back. And so I know we have a lot of listeners who'd appreciate that as well. And where can people find your book and where can they find you? Yeah, so the um, sort of central hub, easiest place to find the book, the URL is www.thebookdirt.com. So T-H-E-B-O-O-K-D-I-R-T.com. The title of the book is Dirt. It's kind of a weird title, but when you read it, it's going to make a lot of sense. Thebookdirt.com. And then I'm at Mary Marantz on all the social. Awesome. Thanks, Mary. Thanks so much for listening today. I really am so encouraged knowing how many of you are being encouraged by this message. And if you have found it helpful, would you mind just sharing it with a friend, leaving five stars or even a review wherever you listen to podcasts, podcasts, keeping it super professional. Um, If you want to connect more with me, head over to Instagram where I'm at Jacqueline.Widener. Or if you want some free resources, head over to my website at JacquelineWidener.com.